All right. Welcome to Jetstream Live today. Really excited to have our guest with us here today. We've got Mark Colgan. He's the co-founder and CEO of Speak On Podcasts. Uh, welcome to the episode, Mark. So great to have you here. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to it. Yeah. So, so before we jump into the topic of understanding uh, your customers to create valuable content, I just want to ask a little bit about uh, yourself and your company. Uh, can you tell us a little bit of your backstory and, uh, and what you do at Speak On Podcasts? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'll give the short version of my background, but I've got around uh, eight or nine years in B2B tech sales and marketing, where I've held roles in marketing sales, as well as the chief revenue officer. And that's really where I've refined my uh, craft for all things to do with outbound and, and also marketing. Um, and with the Speak On podcast, it's an agency. And what we do is we help our customers secure interviews on relevant podcasts so they can get their message and their value to their ideal customers and they're building on the audiences that already exist within other people's podcasts. Um, and just last week we, we, uh, we hit the 1000 interviews booked mark as well, wow. which is really cool. And we plant a tree for every podcast interview we secure. So we've also planted a thousand trees, which is really, really cool. Yeah, that's super cool. And, and we've had some guests on from speak on podcasts, uh, as well. We've had some people join and, and really great, uh, speakers. Uh, so I, I speak very highly uh, of the service. So uh, thanks for thanks, that. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, and I didn't realize you plant a tree every time. That's that's super awesome. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. We should probably promote that a little bit more than we do. But um, <laughs> we, we allow um, so every every time we hit a hundred, we allow we spin a wheel in the team, and then so whoever's name it lands on gets to pick which project they want to plant the trees into. So everybody's involved in it. It's a really positive thing to do. Absolutely, very cool. Yeah, definitely uh, be pushing that a little bit more. Um, <laughs> So let's let's jump into the topic. Like you know, I, I've been someone who's created content for for years, uh, and you know, it is something that's difficult. It's very overwhelming, especially you know, where do I start? Do I look for keywords? Do I look for traffic? Do I find topics? You know, what if there's something I just want to really want to write about? And then for me, the difficult part has always been like writing a blog post. That's why I really enjoy doing podcasts. It's a lot easier mm -hmm. to create content this way, and it's much more engaging, human to human versus me sitting down and writing, but it can be really, really overwhelming. And I think you can get hung up in what do the bots want? How, you know, how can I feed the algorithm? And you actually forget the purpose of why you're writing is so that someone can read the content, but maybe you can take us through your process of, of how you really create valuable content that customers love. Sure. Thanks, Mike. So I think to where this comes from is I've, I've always worked in companies where we weren't the biggest player. We were up against some huge competition that had a lot more budget than we did to put into their content marketing efforts and their SEO and their PPC. So I knew that I could never go toe for toe with these uh, with these competitors. So I had to think creatively about, well, how do I create content that one is valuable and then how do I get it in front of my ideal audience and my potential customers? So really, there's two parts to this. There's the content creation and then there's the content distribution. And I see that a lot of marketing uh, marketing departments, they spend a lot of time on content creation and then they spend hardly any time on the distribution. Uh, the quick answer to the distribution is that now more than ever in 2022, as we record this, is it's easy to go onto LinkedIn if you're a B2B and find your ideal uh, customers and send them messages directly. Um, so that's the secret when it comes to distribution is just to leverage the, audience, leverage the, the network that exists on LinkedIn um, and send that message to them with the content and ask them permission if it's okay for you to send it to them. Um, so there's the content creation and then there's the content distribution. So what do you, what do you mean by ask them 
permission. So like you, you reach out to them, connect them, and then you say, Hey, do you mind if I send you this, this article or this, this blog? Yeah. post? Yeah, exactly that. So I think we're all bombarded with messaging um, from salespeople, from marketers. We manage to be on some lists that we never remember signing up to. Um, that happens to me all the time. And I'm really diligent, especially managing a couple of different email accounts. I'm like, I don't I didn't sign up to this. Where did you get my details from? Um, so it's really about asking that permission. And, and yeah, as you suggested, connect with them. There's a debate whether you use a connection message uh, on that connection request. Um, I've tested it and it's pretty much 50-50. Uh, you either do send a message or don't. The one thing I'd say is that the more commercial the role that you're trying to reach out to is, the more likely they're to accept your connection request without a message. But maybe that's a, a, another question or another another uh, another conversation there, Mike. Um, but connect with them and then reach out to them and say, hey, we've put together a piece of content which is X, Y, Z. Um, I noticed that you are a HR director uh, and thought it might be of interest to you. Would you like me to send it across to you? And that way you're asking their permission and you then have the, uh, you then have the permission to send them the article. Yeah. Very, very cool. That, 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 that's, uh, uh, you know, really interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard that before to actually just like reach out to people. I always, you know, put the post out there and hope that people engage, but you know, you kind of have to manufacture that engagement to some extent and you just want to make sure you're doing it on a permission basis uh, as well. Absolutely, Mike. And if you've created a piece of content, which you know is valuable, which is the content creation piece, then you don't feel like a sleazy person for doing so because you know <laughs> that they, they're likely to find some value in, in that content. Absolutely. So so when, when creating a piece of content, where do you start? Because for me, you know, I, I come from the digital marketing space, you know, not so much as a writer. And so I do start to think about what are the keywords What's the traffic? What kind of backlinks are we going to get to this? If we're going to drive PPC traffic to it, what's that going to look like? You know, I think in terms of like what I'm going to get versus what that content piece actually, like what value it actually provides to the reader. You know, yeah. it, it's sort of a secondary thought. So when you're sitting down to create a piece of content, any type of content, wh where do you start with that? Mike, I start with pain. <laughs> it sounds so sadistic. But <laughs> Hopefully that, it's not your own. <laughs> yeah, not, not my own. But no, what I'm trying to understand is like what challenges are these people that I'm trying to sell to facing? What what pain points do they have in their role? And what we've got to remember is that no matter how good your software product or service might be, it's not going to be solving every single challenge that this person has in their role. Uh, and, and, and the reality is that they don't often care that much about you uh, as a business either. They, they, are, they are in it for themselves, as we all are when it comes to, to work. We want to be better. Uh, in most cases, we want to be better. Um, so really, it comes down to really deeply understanding what those challenges might be. And um, so I, I have a background in sales. And the first part of sales is to understand who your ideal customer profile is, what type of companies you're trying to sell to, and who are those individuals within those companies that you want to speak to. And it's the same for marketing. Understand the ICP, understand the buyer persona. Um, and one of the best ways to do that, especially if you're new to marketing or you're new to a, a company, is to go and have a look at the job descriptions of people who that you're trying to sell to. Maybe look at some of your customers that you have and see what they have listed on their uh, LinkedIn profile. And then look at job adverts. So let's use the HR director example for, uh, for, for this case, is go onto LinkedIn, 
find some HR director job job adverts that are for companies that are maybe tech companies, if that's who you're targeting, and have a look at the roles and responsibilities and have a look at the objectives of their role. And you'll start to see the patterns and you'll start to see the trends between when you're looking at 10 different uh, job adverts, you'll start to see what is similar in those. And that's that's usually the first place that I start. Yeah, interesting. That's a, there's a lot of a lot of research that goes into this. Uh, you know, and you mentioned ideal client profile. You're essentially building a persona. Uh, you know, obviously, you're going to work with personas when you when you're getting started creating this content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you it's there's no point creating content if you don't know who there's going to be reading the content. Uh, so you really do need to understand what, who those buyer personas are. And, you know, I, I'm not a big subscriber to the marketing Mary and accountant Adam. It's like that for me, that's not real. I want to have a look at five to 10 LinkedIn profiles to have a look at what do these people look like? Uh, where, what's their career history been? What are they being, what are they being asked to do in their role? And then you can understand what they're being asked to do in their role by having a look at the job adverts. And of course, um, I think one thing that marketers, some marketers can shoot themselves in the foot with is that they're a little bit scared of having conversations with potential customers, with customers or potential customers, but just have those conversations and get to know them, get to know what their real challenges and pain points are, get to know what their motivations are as well. And it forms a really, really detailed persona for you. Yeah, I always always laugh when people talk about, you know, um, you know, talking to the customers because it's just so simple. It's like, yeah, it's just right there. Like just ask them. And then there's so much information, right? Like when we do persona work for clients and you, you know, if you're on Facebook and you can actually look at like, you know, who's liked their page, who's commented, you can go in and look at that profile and you can really get a sense. You don't need that like marketing Mary or, or, or accountant <laughs> Adam or whatever it is, but you can actually see it's like Joan Smith and she likes yoga and she has a dog and she likes to go for walks in nature. And you look at like several of these profiles and you start to see the commonalities between them. You're like, oh, it is Joan Smith. And she has these challenges, these problems. It's right there. And and then the other thing that works really well is just asking customers, you know, whether we we do a voice of customer survey where we just send out like a Google form and they fill that out. But, you know, if you have the time to do like phone interviews, man, the stuff that you get and the language that you that you learn, like we, we like those voice of customer surveys because they give you the words of the customer that we can then put into the ads. Right. And and so it's like, that's what Joan Smith wants to hear. And I assume you can do that, you know, uh, with content as well. Absolutely. And and another way to do this as well, the the voice of customer, I agree is, is hundred percent the right way to go, but let's say that you're a brand new startup and you don't have any customers and you've got to create some content. Um, Go and have, go and have a look at your competitors and look at their testimonials, their case studies, and then go to G2 or the the third party review sites like G2 trust radius. I'm blanking on a few others there, but there's, there's, there's half a dozen that you could go, go to and have a look to see how people are describing the problem that they had. And most reviews will say, before I used X, my life was Y. Now I've used X, my life is A. And you just look for the commonality. Again, it's all about spotting those patterns and trends and just making a note. And, and for, for, for my whole career, I've always had like a Google Doc or a Word Doc where I've just dumped all of this stuff in there and then eventually have started to categorize it and put it into some sort of order. But just have a swipe file of what how people are speaking in that voice of customer. Yeah. I mean, those those reviews are, are amazing, right? Like doing the actual review mining. I mean, I think for me in my own, you know, 
process of buying products, you know, thinking of Amazon, I usually just go straight to like, who gave it a one and why, right? And what's going on there. And then it's like, okay, it's one person out of like 500 or a thousand really good reviews. That Mm -hmm. one person had a bad experience, which, you know, does happen. But if it was the inverse of that, obviously it'd be like, no, I'm running away from this product or service. So those reviews are, are amazing. And I always look for those for like differentiators, you know, what's our USP, you know, mm-hmm. if, if a product is, does something and it's slow or something, it's like, okay, well, we know that our product is really fast. So exactly. let's talk more about that because it's going to make it pop and differentiate uh, from the other competitors out there. Uh, but I'm thinking in terms of, of ads, right? And, and the stuff that we do is very direct and to the mm-hmm. point. It's like, buy this here now, right? Of yep. course, you have your funnel and you work them through that. But with, with content, you, your purpose isn't necessarily always to drive a lead to drive a sale, right? Like, you know, that is, you know, an eventuality that you want to get to that point, but that's not always the purpose of the content. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I I hear quite often people are like, Hey, I created this piece of content and I got no sales or, Mm. you know, asking the marketing person's like, Hey, we put out that blog post. How's it doing? Like how many sales did it get? It's like, you know, so can you talk about the the point of creating content and, and why we do that? Yeah, so I've I've often been asked, you know, how many sales did you get off the blog post? Or you're doing four blog posts a month. Where's the sales coming from? And so the question I've often thrown back at the person who's asking me is like, well, tell me the last thing that you bought and walk me through the process you went through to purchase that, whether it be a new fridge, something for your house, a car. Like, what was your process? And oftentimes they're not going to be able to say, oh, it was one blog post that I saw on a website that, that made me really convince me to, to take my credit card out and or my card out and purchase. So that's the first one. I, I feel like that you have to push back a little bit and uh, to, to understand and, and get the, uh, the people that are asking you these questions to understand that the buying process isn't linear. Uh, there's multiple things that happen. So then when it comes to creating content, um, I've always played the long game when it comes to uh, content, when it comes to sales, when it comes to anything I do, I'm always playing the long game. And what I mean is I'm not looking for an immediate result. Um, my business partner was in, I live in uh, Lisbon, Portugal, and my business partner was over. We went to Web Summit um, last, the other month, uh, which is a, an event that had 40,000 people there. And my business partner asked me, Mark, what's the ROI of going to these events? And my answer was happy hours. So that's, that's a really good positive return on our uh, investment. But you never know. You just, you just don't know. But if you're not there and you're not present and you're not being seen and you're not meeting people, then there's, you're, you're not going to have as much chance of there being a positive ROI. And then it, just by pure coincidence, we had a customer sign up with us that I met at a conference two years ago. So right. it's, it's the long game that you, you have to play. So going back to your question about creating content, you really do want to create content at different, er- at different levels of the funnel. There needs to be that top of the funnel, middle of the funnel and bottom. But where I see a lot of marketers go wrong is that they start creating top of the funnel content when really I believe you should start with bottom and the middle because you want to mm. target people who are already aware that they have a pain or a challenge or a, a, and they're looking for a solution. And oftentimes when you're competing with top of the funnel content, there's lots of broad match keywords that compete with other uh, non-competing products for for what you're trying to sell, but they're bidding on the same keywords. Yeah, really interesting, you know, because when I think of of promoting ads, you know, I, I say this a lot, but I, I think about like lowest hanging fruit, right? Like, you know, if someone's searching for this product, if they're searching for the brand, that's like the lowest hanging fruit. And it's mm-hmm. if you if you start at the top of the funnel, but you don't have the middle and the bottom, 
it's going to be really difficult for people to get yeah. there. But if you yeah. start at the bottom, at least if someone shows up at the bottom, they're likely to purchase, they're likely to come through. Um, and then you can work it up and, and basically open up the top of your funnel and start filling that in. But you yeah. can't open it up and then bring people down if there's no middle and, and bottom. And that middle is so, so um, important. And you mentioned conferences, uh, you know, and and they are really difficult things. A lot of times you go back and you look at the analytics of it and you're like, man, we really can't prove that that conference was worth something. But you know mm -hmm. that going there and establishing that relationship and seeing the people or, you know, reinforcing relationships with existing clients is really, really valuable. And uh, it kind of it reminds me of, you know, I'm not the biggest Gary V, van, v fan, but he mm -hmm. did say... Uh, one time that I really liked about social media is like, you know, people ask, the, what's the ROI? What's the ROI? Uh, what's the return on this? Where's my money? Um, and he said, what's the ROI of your mother? And I was like, yes. you know, it's like exactly that. Like, you know, you don't look at your mom and say like, what's the return on that? But you know, there's yeah. a ton of amazing value there yeah. in a lot of different ways that you can't necessarily analyze and say, you know, like, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to continue to visit my mom and hang out with my mom because there's no return for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so content is, is similar. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I use a very similar analogy about dating um, because uh, I do a lot of coaching around sales and cold emails and cold calling. And you wouldn't walk up to a bar, see somebody which you think would be a great partner and ask them to marry you straight away. Like you just wouldn't do that. And then when you talk about the ROI piece, like let's say you have been in a relationship for two years and you're deciding to take to the next level, you're going to propose to that person. You know, which date was it that really influenced <laughs> that decision? Like you're not, you're not going to know. It's a combination of experiences and a combination of trust and a combination of sharing and being a guide. And I'm trying to bring that back to, to content there that it's not a single, uh, it's not a single point. It's a combination of things. Yeah, that's so good. I, I laugh because it's true, right? Like if you think about your own relationships, right? It's like, you know, what was the, what was the moment? What was the time that I hung out with that person that I decided that they're my best friend, right? Yeah. It's like, it's a collection of, of events and things that happen over many, many uh, years, for, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, one, one thing that does come to mind, I, I, I did make a post today on LinkedIn about content marketing. And, and one of the first comments someone said was about having an engagement strategy. And I thought that was really interesting as like, yeah, absolutely. You know, engagement, creating community, uh, these sorts of things. And, and I've heard this uh, quote, you know, uh, community is the new content, mm -hmm. right? Can you talk a little bit about that, about community, creating engagement and how content plays in, in, in that? Yeah, so I haven't got firsthand experience of creating my own community, um, but I'm certainly a member of, of a few of them. And, and some, you know, what I can take off the skim off the top is, it's a lot harder than saying that sentence, right? There's a lot yeah. more work that goes into it. And I think so many people, they hear that this is a new strategy or tactic and they go and, and implement it, but they don't necessarily think it through all the way. A little bit like podcasting, Mike. Um, you've got hundreds of episodes, dozens of episodes. It's, it's something that you're investing your time in for the long term. I'm yeah. sure you didn't do 10 episodes and go, well, I didn't get any sales, so therefore I'm not going to continue. I mean, those moments might come up, but um, community <laughs> is the same as well. And, and it really takes a, a special type of person, actually, to be in there as a community manager to steer the conversations. And I have been in the situation where I was asked to create a community and I said, brilliant, who are we hiring to manage it? And they said, no, it's your job. And I said, well, no, it's 
I, I'm not going to commit to doing a half job of something because I just don't have the capacity to be there to stoke the fires and the, and the conversations as well. Um, but do I think community is great? Absolutely. Do I think you need to have your own community? Ideally. Um, if you're in a position where you don't have capacity or don't have, yeah, capacity or resources to have your own community, then leverage somebody else's community. Um, be seen in the community where your prospects are spending time or your customers are spending time and just give value. And this comes back to the whole point of creating content with value. So you have a reason to start conversations and a reason for people to engage with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a great point. I mean, it takes a long time to build a, a community and to really get that community going and have, have a vibrant community that feeds off of itself and that yeah. grows somewhat organically, right? You really have to put the time and effort in to, to make that happen. Uh, I certainly see content as, as a big piece of that, right? That, you know, one of the best examples I have of, of content that really worked on me was uh, a company called Unbounce. They built, they built landing mm -hmm. pages. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah, uh, but but they they've created some amazing content over the years, and I remember when when I started seeing it, I was just like, "Man, this is speaking right to me!" Like, did they make this content for me specifically? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then I was just drawn in to the company, to the you know visiting their blog regularly, signing up for you know newsletters or webinars or whatever they would put on. You know, I remember going to a, a conference that they had that was much bigger than they expected. But it all started like my connection and, and love for Unbounce really started with some content that I found. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And 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 so it, it's the thing that pulls you in. And once you have that connection, you know, Unbounce could do almost anything. They could say, hey, we're having a conference or we're having a webinar or sign up for our new newsletter or, you know, buy our magazine, whatever they mm -hmm. want to put out. Yeah. I'd be interested. Yeah. Right. And it all started with content. Yeah, and, and here's the thing as well. You may not even be a, a customer of Unbounce, but you're talking about it. And it's, yeah. uh, it's created a feeling in you that you have an, a, an affection towards the brand. I've been there exactly. I, I've, been a, um, uh, I've been a fan of the content. And when I went to the conference and saw the team was there, I went up there and said, hey, I like your content. Like, I'm not a customer, but I'm an advocate. Yeah. And, and it's creating advocates through valuable content, even when they're not your customers. Um, very, very hard to measure. Uh, but when you put it off, um, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's lots of cases with that where, you know, someone can be an advocate without being a customer. Like I've been talking about Teslas for probably the last, you know, eight, 10 years or something. I do not yeah. own a Tesla, <laughs> right? But, I, but I'm a fanboy and I talk yeah. about it and I, you know, I, I, I like learning about Teslas and what they're up to and, and talking about it with people. Um, yeah. And there's lots of products like that. So you, you resonate with the brand, you know, potentially through some piece of content. Uh, and then you become an advocate because, you know, it, HubSpot, I don't know if you're familiar with, with HubSpot, yeah. but HubSpot talks about the flywheel, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so you, you come in and you move through these various stages and then you become an advocate. But I think you can actually skip the, the customer and, and, you know, being a fan and just become an advocate without actually becoming a customer. And I think there's a potentially more of that happening than the people that are actually customers. Yeah, and, and I think the, the evolution of product-led growth, so allowing people to experience and use a platform, I've recommended a platform to about six or seven other business owners. I'm not a paying customer, I'm using their, 
their freemium right. version. I'm not getting all of the um, I'm not getting all of the features, but I'm getting enough to go. This is really valuable, and actually, my team has been impacted positively by using this. And I've told so many people about it. And I, do I know? So here, how many of those people have signed up to be customers? I don't know. When they sign up to be customers, how is that company going to attribute that new customer? Yeah. They don't know, right? So um, it's, you know, there's so much that happens in, there's a lot more talk about the dark funnel now, but the reality is that conversations are happening like we're having now and in other forums, in communities and, and offline WhatsApp groups, all of these conversations are happening. You just need to make sure that you're showing up in these conversations. And, and key to that is to forget the keywords because there's, how do you keyword optimize your content for a WhatsApp group? Um, how do you keyword optimize your content for a Slack conversation or for a podcast? The reality is that you can't. But then the reality is, is this is how consumers are buying today. Um, so you need to, you know, I'm not saying never look at keywords. I'm not saying like never do the research when it comes to thinking about um, what specific words you should be using. But maybe take, you've got 100%, take 90%, carry on what you're doing. Take 10% of your time to experiment with some really valuable content that has nothing to do with the keyword. And, and, and again, I'm, I feel like I'm ranting a little bit, Mike, but we've got we've to remember that as, as companies and as marketers, we are the guide, not the hero. And I'm stealing this from Donald Miller's story brand because he says yeah. the majority of companies make this mistake. They make their content all about them. But as a consumer who's looking for a solution to a problem that they're facing, don't care which company it is. I just want to solve my problem. Um, so then they're therefore creating the content around the pain points and alluding to the solutions is, is really key. Yeah, absolutely. And I see the same parallels in, in, in the ads world, right? It's like, we have this product that we want to sell. We have this promotion code that we want to push. And so the language that we use is all about what we want them to do, mm -hmm. right? And when you, but when you look at it from the other side, it doesn't make any sense. Right. And so we try to spend so much time on, you know, those reviews and, and persona building and empathy mapping and, and, and this work to find out what it's like to be in the customer's shoes. So when we go to create those ads, we have to run it through that filter because yeah. it's so easy as the agency or as the company to, to just put yourself in your shoes is like we're driving towards this goal. We want this thing. And then the language goes out and it's very you centric versus yep. being very customer centric and focusing on what you brought up earlier is their pain, their problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I, I find as a marketer, I'm constantly having to remind myself that I need to do that because I'm like, Oh, I have this thing. Let's get it out there. Versus like taking the time to be like, why does anybody want this? Why do they want to buy this? Why do they want to read about this? Why do they want to learn more about this? Uh, yeah. And I think that's probably one of the most difficult things in digital marketing, besides, as you mentioned, the, the dark funnel, the attribution model that is just like, we don't know what is going on yes. anymore. Um, that's one of the biggest challenges, though, is trying to be, you know, customer centric in, in your wording and your language. Yeah, you, you just reminded me of an example that I'm happy to share as I was working with a HR company, a HR technology company. And I did I went through the process. I looked at HR directors and other senior people in the HR role. And one of the common trends that I was seeing that in their job adverts, they were saying, you will be the trusted advisor. Mm. Trusted advisor of all things to do with employee engagement, retention, um, the whole employee cycle. So I had a look on all of the leading HR technology vendors. Hardly any of them are talking about being a trusted advisor. Yet 
the majority and, and it was the one thing that came up in pretty much every job advert was uh, to be uh, the, the trusted advisor. So why not create content that helps these people that you potentially want to sell to to become trusted advisors? Because then they might have a problem or a challenge that they're looking to solve and you're, you might be the solution they're looking for. And if not, you've helped them progress and be better as an individual and a human. And again, playing the long game, you never know where they go. You never know which company they go into. And the company is like, we don't have this type of software and we need it. Do you, do you have any vendors that you recommend or any suppliers that you know, anybody you've worked with in the past? They're going to remember you. You're, they're going to remember that you're the one that helped them up uh, level up their game when it came to being a trusted advisor, just for this particular example. Um, so yeah, just wanted to share that there. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and, you know, something I've realized is, is, you know, when we do these voice of customer surveys, usually the pain or the problem or the thing that people, uh, the reason that they buy is different than what I suspect, right? Because mm -hmm. on the surface, when you're looking at a product, you're like, oh, well, you know, obviously, you know, they wanted, you know, waterproof shoes because, you know, it gets wet outside. And in actual fact, they want it because every day they walk their kid to school and, the, you know, the kids like to jump in puddles. And you're like, yes. oh, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's random things like that, that you discover. And then that's how you, to me, the research is what drives the creative ideas, right? I've, oh, yeah. you know, from looking from the outside, you just assume that, oh, you've got all these extremely creative people when in mm -hmm. actual fact, in most cases, in most agencies, they're just doing a ton of research to find these angles. And that's where the, the creative and the idea comes from. And I'm assuming you know, content would be the same. You do a ton of research, you discover trusted advisors is a thing that really resonates with people. Let's write more about that. And, and without being too direct with content, right? To say like, be the trusted advisor, come over here, but yeah. creating a set of resources that they read on a regular basis that helps them become that without, you know, again, looking for that return for yourself, being, you know, being a little more unselfish. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll continue with that example of trusted advisor. We haven't talked about what the HR tech platform is or does yet. Right. <laughs> you're, what, what, you're what you're describing is becoming a resource for people who are HR, who are your perfect customers to come back to you time and time again. So that when, because you can't sell something to somebody when they don't have a problem. I, I use the example of like, you can't sell me tires if I don't have a car or you can't tell me, you can't sell me car insurance if I don't own a car. So you need to learn, first of all, whether I have that problem or have that need or may need that. Um, but yeah. if you were if you were that resource I went to to level up about how to be a trusted advisor and each month I could come back and learn something new, then I'm building that affinity and that advocacy with with the brand, as we were describing earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to circle back and because you talked about, you know, keywords and backlinks and writing for algorithms and stuff. And, you know, what? You don't want to completely ignore that, but you don't want that to be the bulk of your work. What, how, like, sort of how much work do you do, or what things do you make sure that you do, or, or you know, what's that work look like, uh, you know, when you are creating content? Yeah. So I'll be completely honest with you. It's been a hundred percent problems that customers, that my ideal customers have, and I've not looked at keywords, but that's because I've had a very effective distribution strategy in place as well. Um, so before I create any content, I'm already planning how do I get this out to people. Which partners can I leverage and speak to that could share it with their audience as well? Um, because ultimately, I'm looking to create content which is valuable to the to the human, not the algorithm. So, Mike, perhaps not the answer that you were you were seeking, yeah. but um, but that's always been my approach, and it's worked well for me. 
Yeah, well, it makes sense. And I think Google is getting so good with, with synonyms, right? We used to look at like keyword density. How many times mm -hmm. did we say this keyword? And in actual fact, Google is so good at like reviewing that content and saying like, hey, although they didn't even mention this keyword, this is about this topic. And sure. they're getting so good at answering questions, right? Like, you know, really Google is, you know, a query database where you go there and you query Google and it finds you the answer. You know, mm -hmm. I might put in like, red shoes or what's the best software product or something but i'm looking to get that question answered even if i don't ask it in the form of a question yeah and so i think if you you know it, it's almost unfortunate that seos will, will hate this but you know mm -hmm. that that if you're not good at seo you can't be found right and i think google's yeah. trying to like counter that in some ways where it's like i don't care if you're not good at seo because being good at SEO doesn't mean you're the best product. It doesn't mean you're the best answer for that question. But if Absolutely. you focus on, I teach a digital marketing bootcamp. And one of the things that, that, that we just say is write the best answer on the internet, which mm -hmm. can be extremely daunting to think about. But when you get into niche down topics that not many people are writing about, it's just write the best answer there. There might be three other people doing it. They've done a terrible job. Just write a better yeah. answer. But writing answers is really how you should be doing SEO, not, you know, getting so many backlinks and worrying about keyword density and, and page titles, but, uh, you know. Yeah. And, and I think again, the, the, the landscape has shifted. Like if you're a B2B, you've got LinkedIn and you have, I think 800 million profiles on LinkedIn these days, but obviously wow. they're not all going to be your, your prospects and your ideal customers, but you know, do you, depending on what you're selling, do you need 20,000 people coming to your website in, in one day? Or, right. or do you just, or do you need 200 a day? Um, and that's achievable with directly reaching out to people that match the criteria. Again, if you've got something good to share and you're not putting it behind a form all the time as well. That's one, yeah. one mistake I see often, Mike, is that people create this great bit of content. They've obviously put time and, and resources into it. So they need to prove to their CMO or their CEO that they've got X amount of leads. But I always say, well, how many how many people converted on that site on that landing page? Oh, we got really good. We got twelve percent. I'm like, well, well, what about the eighty-eight percent that didn't see the content? Right, didn't even look because they were didn't look because they, they saw the form and and they they were turned off by the idea of giving their details. And and when yeah. and unless that content is extremely valuable and life changing, I personally don't think you. I would much rather have more people see it and it resonate with people then less people see it just so I can prove yeah. my NQL number. But that's me personally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you a bigger question as we, as we kind of near, near uh, the end of this uh, podcast today. Um, what, what's the future of, of creating valuable content? Like what do you see, you know, maybe in the next three months, maybe next three years? Yeah, this, I think podcast and having conversations with people who have been there uh, got the t-shirt and can talk from experience and I think you know one of the most popular and successful pieces of content I ever created was when I worked in a previous company I noticed that we were getting, getting a few more customers sign up after they'd raised a round of series a funding so it was at that point where they needed a solution like I was like I was selling so I saw that trend was happening I just ha happened to have that visibility into the sales conversations so I went out and reached out to four people or three or four people that had helped companies go from seed to series A or from series A to the next level, which is typically series B when we're talking funding rounds. 
And I just asked the same three questions to three or four people. What challenges? What what things are what things surprised you? And um, I can't remember the third question right now, Mike. But the, the same the same three questions to three different people. And then all my job was is was to collate that information and edit it. And two of them said the same answer. So I said, as mm. John and Andy suggested, it's X Y Z. Um, but but uh, Lucy disagreed and said this is the biggest challenge. And I created a 2,000 word piece of content off the back of that interview. And all I did was ask three questions to three people. Obviously, I reached out to people, got them on board, sure. but it didn't take me a long time to write content because I had it all there. And I obviously transcribed it from, from the video, uh, from the call that we had over Zoom. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to create content. You know, uh, you know I've heard from, from some social media agencies and content marketing agencies is to like, you know, just, just do a Zoom interview with the, the CEO or the head of marketing or the head of product or whatever, and just ask them, prompt them a couple of questions, get them talking and just yeah. see what they talk about. Right. Yeah. And, and even if they're not the most outgoing person or the person that you would, you know, show on a live interview, uh, they, they're going to say some amazing things. And then as a writer, you can take that as seed content and create it. You've got quotes, you've got sound bites. Uh, you know, you've got other information to like take a story and expand on it and come back. But it's such a great way rather than, you know, as a content writer, just looking at like, oh, the company is, you know, doing, you know, solar lighting. Uh, right. You know, here's the things that we should talk about. It's like if you actually went to the engineer and said, why did you make it in this way? Mm -hmm. What amazing content you would get from that. And then you can turn that into, uh, you know, a really, really great article. But video is just massive right now. It's a huge opportunity. I, I think it's a it's a secret weapon that a lot not a lot of people are taking advantage of is is having these conversations having them on video. Once you've got the video, you've then got ten pieces of other pieces of content which can be distributed across, and you could put paid advertising behind it and use those yeah. keywords that you know. Uh, but to 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 uh, get that content in front of them, another trend that I I I want to mention as well, Mike, is the. The idea of creating content that isn't actually relevant to what it is that you do or what you sell hmm. or what your service is. So, well, okay, maybe that it is, it's still relevant, but it's not pushing <laughs> them towards your product. And I'll give two sure. examples in the, in the software world. There's a CRM called Salesflare. It's a, it's a CRM and it's designed to be really easy to use. And really, if you're using a spreadsheet, but you're looking for something a little bit more sophisticated, then Salesflare is the, next, is, is the best option for you to go for. Salesflare know that a huge majority of people are using spreadsheets for their, for their, uh, for their CRM. But what they're not trying to do is they're not trying to convince people to say, ditch your spreadsheet, use Salesflare. What they're doing instead is saying, look, we know that you're using a spreadsheet. And maybe that spreadsheet isn't perfect. Here is our, our team has worked for hours and hours, weeks, weeks, weeks and months on this spreadsheet template for your CRM. <laughs> Love it. So use this because it's probably going to be better than what you're doing at the moment. So they've lifted you up a little bit from where you were just using your own spreadsheet. Um, and then you're going to start to see that, um, well, the spreadsheet can only do so much. And if, you're, if, you, if you level up your maturity of using a spreadsheet as a CRM to a certain point, then you, then you do say, well, I wish I could automate some of this, or I wish that this would work like that. And then that's what Salesforce's job is to do, is to educate you on how much better your life could be because they're being the guide, not the hero. Um, another example in the SaaS world again, because that's mainly where my background has been, is Dan Martell. He runs a group coaching uh, program for SaaS founders for 
people that are typically trying to get to a certain level of revenue. That's that, that's like his sweet spot. So he asks himself, and I'm sure his marketing team come up with this, is like, well, what other things are these SaaS founders looking looking for? What, what, what do they need help with? And his team create some of the best content that I've seen out there completely for free because he wants to get it in as many hands and eyeballs as possible. Someone, some examples that come to mind is he created a, an Airtable database with, I think, 150 emails. So if was it a welcome email? Was it a newsletter? Was it a product update? And just gave 150 different examples, all categorized so you could, you could filter them. He also did a very similar thing with Airtable of uh, investors, angel investors and seed stage investors that invest in SaaS companies. That's his exact audience. He's not an investor. Uh, he is an investor, but his, his uh, company is not investing in companies. Sure. His company is not writing emails for people, but his company is about coaching SaaS founders to, to increase their revenue and by putting in his systems and, and his, his knowledge. And you can see that the content he's creating isn't specifically saying how great Dan and his team are. This content is, a, is effectively saying, I hear you. I understand you. You have these challenges. Here's some content. I hope it helps. I love it. Yeah. And, and, and it really, it's really interesting because it, it feels like it's like we're not going to sell you. And by not selling you, we're selling you. Right? Yeah. Like, but, it, but it's in a very genuine, intentional way that is probably going to help a ton of people that may never purchase. But there's exactly. people in that bucket that are absolutely on the journey to purchasing the product. And so he casts a wider net uh, there where he can catch more of those people. But in just in general, he's doing something positive that is that is truly helping people. So it makes yeah. a ton of sense. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit hard for some people, I think, to wrap their head around you know, especially, you know, for me coming from the performance direct marketing space, sure. it's like, I spent a dollar on a click, I want to get $10. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but sometimes, you know, especially in content, it's a little bit less hammer on the head. It's 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 a little indirect, uh, or a lot indirect in this case. Uh, and Mike, and, that, and that's why I suggested earlier, just experiment, take, take 10% of your resource and, and try it out and, and see and see if the, if it does work for you, because yeah. it might not be the right strategy. And I'm not saying that you should divert all of your attention from one strategy channel or tactic to to another, um, but it but it works. And it, it just, again, remind yourself of you as the buyer. How do you buy? Um, and just remember that no one, uh, no one, everybody likes to buy, but no one likes to be sold to. Yes. Love it. Uh, well, Mark, it's been great to have you on. So great to chat with you. Uh, and thanks for all the stuff you're doing at Speak On Podcast, helping uh, fill us up with, with great guests. Uh, where, can, where can people find out more uh, about yourself, connect with you and, and check out your company as well? Sure. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Mark Colgan, C-O-L-G-A-N. And if you'd like to find out more about Speak On Podcast, you can go to speakonpodcast.com. Awesome. Thank, thanks so much, Mark. It's great to uh, chat with you and uh, maybe we'll do this again uh, sometime soon. Likewise, Mike. Thank you so much for your time. Speak to you soon.